Thank you all so much. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to GBC. Really excited to worship alongside of y'all and, and really grateful just to have that time together singing really gospel-oriented songs. Uh, let me pray, and we will turn our attention to Luke 19. Just so you know, we're, uh, we're in a three-week hiatus from 2 Corinthians, which we've been working through. And some people last week when we didn't cover 2 Corinthians were like, why aren't we in 2 Corinthians? Like, have, have we lost our bearings or something like that? It's Palm Sunday, okay? Like, we're, we're preaching on the triumphal entry. And, and next week is Easter, and we're going to preach on Easter. And then we'll go back to 2 Corinthians. So you just be able to just settle down. We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. Second Corinthians is going to be there waiting for us. Um, let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for great friends and a church family to, to sing alongside the, the gospel. I, I pray uh, that we are all encouraged. But Father, mostly, I, I pray that you are honored by our worship. I, I pray that our, our worship is for you. And I pray that we would delight to try to please you, not, not only in, in singing, but in all of life. God, give us such a, a great appreciation for the gospel that it would shape all of our other priorities. And I, I pray that you would do that just by your spirit, but I also pray that you would do it by your spirit working through Luke chapter 19 for your good purposes. I, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you were able to join us yesterday at the GBC Grill Off? Raise your hands real quick. Yeah, I mean, a lot of you. That, that's great. For, the, for those of you who missed it, you're, you're dumb. I mean, like, <laughs> it is so fun. Like, it, it, like we, you're not really dumb. But, but what a shame because, like, I, I exercised almost all day, and I, I think I gained weight. I, it, I ate so much, and... It, it really, it was a ton of fun. The, the highlight, of course, was hanging out with all of you fine people who were there. Uh, the other highlight, though, secondary to the Good Fellowship, was the fact that I got to play spike ball for the first time in like six months. Six months, and, and I love spike ball. For, for those of you who don't know, spike ball is this game where you've got this little like mini trampoline, and it, it's like volleyball. You, you, you spike the ball off of the net and, and hope that your opponents can't you know, kind of volley it to each other and then spike it back. And so that's, that's kind of the premise of the game. I hadn't played in six months. It, it's a sport that I love to play. And, and when we started playing yesterday, it was, it was three guys in their early or mid-20s and me. And, and so I, I remember walking out to the spike ball court, a.k.a. the sand volleyball court out there. And, you know, there's lots of people around. And, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, if anyone is, is watching the four of us, three guys in their earlier mid-20s and, and me, you know, most wouldn't give my team a chance, right? And, and I, I get that. Like, if, if I was watching me go out there, I wouldn't give my team a chance. And, and it's because, keen grasp of the obvious here, I'm 54 years old. That means I'm over twice as old as all the other people and that, that's, that's significant. I, I also have a bad back. I, that's why I haven't played in, in six months. I have a bad back. And let's just face it. I mean, if, if we're going to be honest, there is an anti-athletic bald bias that is out there that persists. And like when you look at this, you're not, you're not thinking athlete. I, I get that. I totally get that. And so everyone, if, if anyone was watching, and I don't think anyone was watching, but, but if anyone had been wonder, watching, everyone would have said, oh, West team, 
they're not, it's, it's not going to go so well. Like, they're going to lose and probably lose badly. It's, it's going to be embarrassing type deal. We won every time. Every time. And you might be asking yourself, I mean, you're like, how? How? Like, how? Right? And I, I understand that. Like I said, it's very simple. It's very simple. My partner was Bennett freaking Einhoff. He, he is built like Gaston. He is cat quick. He was, he was a pitcher in high school and in college. So, so his serve is nasty. And, and I figured out as we walked out onto the court, my job, I, like know your role, right? My job is, is to set the spike ball ball somewhere close to the rim of the spike ball net. And if I get it somewhere close, Bennett is going to finish the job. Like Bennett's going to hit the spike ball onto the net so hard and, and with such velocity that the other opponents don't have a chance of returning it. And, and that's what happened game after game after game. If you can make a decent set, he'll finish the job. That, my friends, is the key to your Christian life. <laughs> Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. You're going to see it. You're just going to have to wait for it. I don't want to give it to you right now. <clears throat> Luke 19, verses 28 through 40. This is the triumphal entry. This, this is the start of Holy Week, the first Holy Week. This, Jesus is entering He's not going to leave Jerusalem. He's going to be crucified at the end of this week. So this is where we are in, in the narrative of, of biblical history, okay? So Luke 19, verses 28, And when he, he being Jesus, had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and to Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt on which no one has ever yet set. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had, been, had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, and you can't blame them for this, why are you untying the colt? It's my colt basically what he's saying. And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the, uh, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. The whole, if they were silent, the stones would cry out is, is designed to make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Like, that is so cool. That, this whole passage is, is 
mostly about the preeminence of Jesus. That, that's what we're seeing here. And, and the preeminence of Jesus, and that's why the stones would cry out, the preeminence of Jesus merits our exuberant praise, our, our exu- like our passionate praise. Look at verse 37 again. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. I want, I want you to note the, pa- the, pa- the passion of this passage. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. They, they rejoice and they praise God. They, they do so with loud voices for all the mighty works they've seen. They say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. There is rightly an exclamation point at the end of that sentence. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. There is rightly an exclamation point at the end of that sentence. Like there is passion that is all a part of this passage. The whole multitude of disciples rejoiced and praised God with loud voices. Kind of raises the question, doesn't it? Do you ever wonder why you're not as passionate as some people in your worship of God? Have you ever thought about that? Like there there are some people who are really exuberant and, and if it applies to you, you might have wondered why. Why am I not that exuberant? And, and part of that, part of that, I want to be fair here, might just be that's how God made you. You might not be a spaz. I, I get that. I, I get that. But, but before you rest in that answer, because I think almost everyone's like, well, that's just not the way I am. You know, like other, they're not very sophisticated. You know, you'll do some of that. You'll kind of judge the people who are, who are pretty exuberant. Before you do that, let me, let me give you a quick test just to see if that really holds water. Are you passionate about college football? Because a lot of people are like, you know, I'm just not that passionate person. You see them on Saturday at Daryl K. Royal Memorial Stadium or at Kyle Field, and they look pretty passionate. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, so why, if you're not a passionate person, are you passionate there? Or if you're in another stage of life, on a Saturday at your kid's athletic event, you're losing your mind? Like, you, you are going psychopath, screaming at kids and referees and umpires and other parents and, like, all that. You're not passionate? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, are, are you passionate about your career? Are you, are you passionate about whatever hobby you have? Now, now, some of you actually aren't. Some of you are just a little lower key. There's nothing wrong with that, but... To the degree that the thermometer goes up, it should go up for Jesus. That's, that's the point, okay? And, and I mean that. Like, if there is a reason to have great zeal and great passion, it should be for the person of Jesus Christ. It should be for all of the glorious things that come with the gospel. Like, y'all, don't just settle into, well, that's just not who I am. Be careful there. But there's also another component to our zeal that's embedded in this passage, and it actually has to do with the cult, the cult. Now, look, I want to 
just disclaim this because I, I think I might be able to get ahead of you a little bit. On holiday Sundays, Christmas, Easter, this is a lesser, you know, minor holiday. It's, you know, triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, whatever you want to call it. There's a tendency for, for pastors to try to freshen up whatever is pretty well known, and, and it can really get into novel pretty quick. You know, like talking about things that are so obscure that you're not really dealing with the principal meaning of the passage. And, and so I'm going to talk a lot about the cult, and, and I want to defend that a little bit, okay? Because I think some of you might go, oh, here we go. Okay, here's, here's what I'd like to tell you about the cult. There's a lot of details about this cult, aren't there? I don't know if you were reading or following along, but, but it says that he's tied up. So that seems significant. He, he says that this cult has never been ridden. He's, he's adding details to the story about the cult. It's, it's like he's drawing attention to the cult. It says that when the owner of the cult questions why the disciples are stealing the cult, it, it's, it, he's supposed to say, the Lord of it has need. Now, I, I know that it, the text says the Lord has need of it as if it is the cult. It's the Lord of it has need. I, I promise in the Greek that's a little bit more accurate. The Lord of it has need. And, and then it says that they, they set their cloaks on top of the cult, and then they set Jesus on top of the cloaks on top of the cult. There's a lot going on with the cult. So you're like, why does God care so much about this cult? And then you start looking at the cross-references. Those are the little references on the side of your Bible that if you don't have reading glasses on, you probably can't read. But, but it, it refers you to Zechariah chapter 9. I'm going to read you Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, because it's going to talk about the cult. Like, the cult is in Zechariah. Let me read that for you. Zechariah 9, 9 and 10, greatly... Rejoice, O daughters of Zion. Again, it's talking about zeal. Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And he goes on in verse 10. I will cut off the chariots from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. This is significant. What we find out from Zechariah is that God chose the donkey. And if you're wondering, Zechariah was written 500 years before Jesus walked the earth. So, so 500 years before Jesus walked the earth, God says, I'm going to have him come in on, on a donkey. Now, that's significant. Sometimes we get lost in biblical numbers. 500 years prior, do you know what was happening 500 years ago? 1523 A.D.? Almost nothing you remember. It, it's, it was kind of a bad year for like notable history. So I'm going to go back... 503 years to 1520, because that was a better year, and it's only three years more. Magellan found his strait. The strait of Magellan, you've heard of it? Nobody knew about it. Magellan found that place. Cortez in 1520, right or wrong, this is not a value, it's, it's just a statement of history. He was beaten up bad on the Aztecs. The United States 
wasn't a glimmer in anyone's eye. Like, we're not even close to the United States being a nation 503 years ago. 500 years ago. 500 years is a long time. And God chose this donkey 500 years before to carry a righteous king who brings salvation into Jerusalem. Now, is Zechariah chapter 9 about the king? Absolutely it is. In fact, Zechariah chapter 9 says the king is righteous. The king brings peace to the nations. His dominion will cover the ends of the earth. So this is not a run-of-the-mill king of Israel. This is the king of the world. Like, In case you're new to Christianity, we're talking here about Jesus. Okay, I, like, Certainly, we are talking about Jesus. Zechariah chapter 9 is about the coming King Jesus. But the donkey is important because God chose it for this purpose. I mean, 500 years prior. Now, the question that we have to ask today is why? Why would God choose a donkey? Why, why prophesy about the donkey? Why give all these details in Luke chapter 19 about the donkey? And the answer is simple. The donkey is a metaphor for Christians. Now I get what you're thinking. This isn't the first time that most of you have been called a jackass. I, I get it. <laughs> that's true of me. That's, that's true of a lot of us. But all kidding aside, there are some striking similarities between this donkey and all of us. I'd like to highlight some of those because I think the text is actually pointing this out. Just like the donkey, weren't we picked out beforehand for a purpose? Isn't that exactly what Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 is saying? Let me read you or quote Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. He says, he chose us, this is God chose us, in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world. I, I said the donkey was picked beforehand. We were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world is the beforehand of beforehand. Like, there's nothing before that. He chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. So that, that's part of his purpose. But it goes on to say, in love, he predestined us he predestined us for adoption. Meaning before the foundation of the world, God chose us and predestined us to be called sons and daughters of God most high. And then it goes on to say, according to the purpose of his will. So did God choose the donkey beforehand for his purpose? Yes. Did God choose us beforehand before the foundation of the world? Yes, yes. For his purpose, according to the purpose of his will. This seems like same, same. We're very similar here to the donkey. Now, look, I've mentioned predestination. I'm, this sermon isn't about defense of predestination. I, I believe in it. I, I think it's wonderful. I, I don't think you should take the word predestination, which is the Greek word pro-horizo, pro-beforehand horizo, where we get the word horizon, the delineation between the, the earth and the sky, you know, to mark out beforehand, to delineate beforehand. I don't think you should take that word and, and try to explain it away, but I, that's not my point today. My point, I think Paul's point in Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5, is, is simply this, your life matters to God. Like, for all the controversy surrounding predestination, the irony is when Paul is talking about predestination, he's really saying 
you didn't get saved by accident. You, you didn't get saved by happenstance or you, you didn't just like fall into it. God marked you out beforehand and he saved you according to his purpose, the purpose of his will. You were saved for a purpose. Let, let's press this donkey thing a little bit further. Just like the donkey was tied to a post, and that's what our text said, so Christians, before they experience the freeing grace of God, aren't they tied to a sinful nature? That, wouldn't that seem like a parallel? John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. What, what, is, what is a slave if, if not someone who is held, someone who's held captive even. So apart from God's grace or before God's grace, we were held. It's like the donkey's tied to a post. We're tied to our own sin. We're held by our own sin. I remember when I was 17 years old, I worked on a ranch up in Montana, White Sulphur Springs, Montana, two hours north of Bozeman, and it was a, a great time. It was basically for that summer an opportunity for, for me to, to be a cowboy, sort of a pretend cowboy, but more of a cowboy than most of you, and that's all that matters. <laughs> the real cowboy was a guy named Gary Metcalf. He, he was like to his core from Montana, and, and we were charged, I was under Gary Metcalf, we were charged with with working with about 40 horses on this ranch. And we would bring them into a corral every day and we would tie them to hitching posts and, and that was fine. That was, that was a place that the, the horses could just sit and you know, eat a little bit, but, but mostly just be safe. Except every once in a while, a horse would get bored or, or a horse would get bitten by a horse fly and they would rear back, their halters were hooked to a halter rope to, to a hitching post. They would rear back against the hitching post and every once in a while, the hitching post would give way, and it would panic the horse. So the horse is pulling, and, and he would pull the hitching post away, and the horse would be like, oh gosh, what's happened? And the horse would start running around the corral. Well, he's, he's pulling a hitching post. It's not very safe for the horse. It's not safe for the other 40 horses, because this guy's going you know, round and round, just slinging this hitching post all over the place. It's, it's, a, bad, it's a bad scene. So Gary Metcalf, cowboy, he figures it out. He, he takes the rope from the halter and he replaces it with a car inner tube. So he, he's hooking the halter of the horse to an inner tube which hooks to a post that's more solid than the average hitching post. And so that same horse that's pulled away and run around and hurt other horses tries it again, but now with the inner tube. And he pulls back and he rears back and, and that elastic of the inner tube stretches and then retracts. Boom! Horse has a big old knot on its head, never pulls back again. That to me is what being tied by sin looks like. Like we, we can try to manage it, we can, we can try to pull back from it, we, we can try to distance ourselves from the post to which we're bound. But the reality is we can't get away. We can't get away. Except by the grace of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 30 with me. Jesus says, Go into the village in front of you, 
where on entering you will find a colt tied. We've already talked about tied. On which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. Just like a donkey that's never been ridden, we, apart from God's grace, have never actually fulfilled our purpose. That's how it works. Like, why do you have a donkey? Ride it. This donkey's tied to a post, and you, you can't ride a donkey that's tied to a post. And so this, this little colt has never actually fulfilled his purpose. But just like the donkey was untied from a post for a purpose, we were actually freed from our sin. This is what you need to understand. We were, you were freed from your sin, not, not just to be a trophy to God's grace, but for a purpose. You were freed from your sin for a purpose, which raises the next question. Why was the donkey freed from the post? Because it's the exact same question is, why were we freed from our sin? Because it, it's a metaphor. And so the answer is going to be the same. The donkey was freed from the post. We know this to carry Jesus to his glory, right? He, you free him from the post. You bring him to Jesus so that Jesus can ride into Jerusalem. And, and that is where people will sing, glory be to God. Blessed be the king. Lots of exclamation points. In the same way, we were freed from sin to carry Christ to his glory, weren't we? You know that intuitively, right? Not, not just to have fire insurance so that you can go on and live tethered to a post of your own sin. You, you were transformed from the inside out. That's the new covenant that we've been talking about a lot lately. Ultimately, so that we can carry Christ to his glory. This isn't just me talking about a donkey, by the way. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, which probably carries more weight than I do, starts with the chief end of man is to glorify God. What does glorify God mean other than to carry Christ to his glory? It's the same, right? That's why you were saved. Now, let's finish up with verses 36 through 40. As he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. Again, back to verse 37. The multitude of disciples began rejoicing and praising God for all the mighty works that they had seen. Here's the challenge today. I just don't know that you're going to see the mighty works of Jesus unless you're a disciple of Jesus. Like I, I think that's what it takes to see the mighty works of Jesus. You are a follower of Jesus. Now, the word disciple actually means learner, but back in the day, everyone learned by following their rabbi. 
And, and so if, if you were here on Sunday and the only thing that you were giving to Jesus is, is your Sunday morning and the rest of the time you are living for your own pleasure, I don't think you're going to see his mighty works. And guess what? Because you're not seeing his mighty works, I don't think you're going to be an exuberant worshiper. Because this is all just an academic pursuit. And, and, and your sum total of your life in Christ is, is theological concepts at that point. And that's not very motivating. There is no passion in just knowing more than the person next to you. Disciples see great works and therefore become great worshipers. The text says, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with loud voice. The, the word rejoice in verse 37, it's, it's actually a participle. And I, I like the translation. They began to rejoice and to praise God. It, it looks like they're both infinitives, but, but to rejoice is a participle, and it's, it's mod, modifying praise. So the idea would be then you could say they praised God rejoicingly. I, again, that's a really awkward way of saying it, but, but there's some element that rejoicing modifies praise. And the reason I tell you that is, is simply to raise this question. Is your praise of God, either in song or in just life in general, is your praise of God marked by rejoicing? Are, are you that enthusiastic about Jesus? Because we're, we're kind of coming back full circle to where we started. Like, that should be the mark of Christian praise. It should come out of somehow rejoicing. It really should. I believe that. I give Michael, our worship pastor, a ton of credit because he picks substantial songs. I mean, like the songs we've sang in the next song, spoiler alert, it's awesome. <laughs> I've been through one of these already. I know what song it is, and you're like, everything about this should fire us up. But I'll tell you, I love that Michael picks substantial songs. Michael's job is, is not to whip you into a frenzy. It's not. It's, it's not to overwhelm you from the stage with, with the, the sound of the band. It's just not. It is to lead us that, that we might be one voice together singing praises to Jesus. And, and where praise becomes rejoice is discipleship. It's the stuff you're doing Monday through Saturday. That's where you fall in love with Jesus. That's when you see his great works. That's when you come to worship the living God who is worth every ounce of our soul's adoration. Through discipleship and through disciple-making where you're investing in others and watching them become people participating in the kingdom of God. Theodore Roosevelt used to go out on his lawn at night in the summers at Sagamore Hill, which was basically the White House in the summer when he was president. And he would, he would sit out on the lawn and he would wait sometimes 20 minutes until his eyes adjusted so that he could find the very faint spot of, of light mist. I mean, it was, it was so 
hard to find. Beyond the lower left corner of the great square of Pegasus, which is one of the constellations, he, he knew where to look, and he would wait 20 minutes until he could see this very light mist. And then he would recite to whoever was out there on the lawn with him, wondering, what are we doing out here? He would say, this is the spiral galaxy of Andromeda. It is as large as our Milky Way. It is one of a hundred million galaxies. It consists of one billion suns, each larger than our sun. And then Theodore Roosevelt would pause, he would grin, and he would say, now I think we are small enough. Let's go to bed. I think what he was getting after at Sagamore Hill was the idea that our greatest significance in this world would only be realized when we let go of our desire for great significance. We're, we're not going to be the star. We're going to be the, the guy who sets up the star. And we're going to watch the star spike the ball and win every time. In other words, we're just a bunch of donkeys. That's, that's what the text is telling us. We're a bunch of donkeys that get to carry Jesus to his glory. That's why there's Zechariah chapter 9. That's why there's all the details about the donkey. We're, we're the donkeys. But what great cargo that God has given us to carry. Let's pray. Father, I want to repent of years of trying to be the star. I, I want to repent of self-importance. I want to repent of self-aggrandizing. I, I, I want to repent of all the different ways that I have tried to rob or usurp you of the glory that you deserve, the, the glory that your son Jesus deserves. Father, I, I pray for our entire congregation, myself very much included. I, I pray that we would delight to be beasts of burden, carrying Jesus, King Jesus, to his glory. Father, help us to know how to do that. Help us to know when we're not doing that. Help us to repent quickly that we might live in the freedom of knowing our role and carrying our king wherever you would have us carry him in all circumstances. Father, that that might be true of all the people of Grace Bible Church, all Christians. I pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.